0: Recorded live.
1: Game or something? (laughs) (laughs) We get your lines back.
2: It's not my line anymore. (laughs) Oh, it's my line
0: now. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. There.
2: That would have been nice to have clarified beforehand. It <laughs> wasn't my responsibility, considering the fact that I haven't been on the show for like a million years. Well, in internet time, yeah, but in reality, no.
1: Okay, everybody, it's fragments of silicon time. Yeah,
0: and we'd love to have some theme music for you here, but we can't.
1: Yeah, this is the problem uh, of having live theme music. When your musician doesn't show up, you don't have it. Well, I guess I I, I still have a a couple of recordings, but I don't feel like bringing out the cannons. (laughs) But anyway, so, yeah.
0: That's it. He's fired. You know what? He's rehired, but at half pay.
1: (laughs) Anyway, so welcome to another installment of Fragments of Silicon. I'm your host, Adam, and this is your weekly uh, vertical slice of gaming goodness and geek culture. Uh, Joining me in the studio this week is, well, for one last time, Mac. Hello. Ogre.
2: See, Adam remembers when to do his line.
1: Yes. Uh, Gollicks? Hi, everybody. And Petty Fans.
2: Cold sucks.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, uh, Mac, why don't we start with you?
2: All right. Well, uh, yeah, this is genuinely my final fragments of Silicon for who knows how long. Work yeah. schedules cool. and uh, general malaise has uh, has prompted me to retire my co-hosting position. Yeah. And oh, man, back- and
0: he's like a four-star, so he can't go over his head.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, and the other thing is that... I will be staying on as executive producer, but most of what I will be doing in the future will be pretty invisible to the program. Right. Now, you will be continuing up late with me. Right. We're still going to be doing that, because that's on much later. Yeah. i going to keep the same time slot on that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, unlike last time, uh, the show isn't moving its time slot either. No. It wouldn't make any difference. No. It w- no, no, it would not. Close four nights. i also tried that before. Yeah, well, you know, closing like four nights a week and then uh, being at work until at least six on the other days—forget it. <laughs> hmm.
1: So, yeah. So Mac, like, much like Naka,
2: is going on sabbatical. Oh, you mean Naka was here?
1: No, <laughs> Naka is like formally on sabbatical now. I see. So, you know, it's like, you know, myself, Ogre, Petty Fan, uh, Gallix, and uh, Keith are the regular cast members now.
0: Well, regulars and then there's Keith.
1: <laughs> right, as regular as Keith ever gets. But, you know, that's for him. That's of his individuality.
0: Yes, he's still an... Im- important part of the program. He's just not an important part that's there all the time. All right. Was it just me or did he... When he said individuality, did did anybody else think about the individual 11?
1: That might have been all you, Ogre.
0: Yeah. It, it's such a cool name. I'll give him that much. Yeah.
1: Yes. Anyway, uh, Mac, is there anything else you want to announce at this point?
2: Uh, James. <laughs> I've got them some... <laughs> Yeah, we played the entire, we we played uh, played all the way through Italiere uh, Escalogie, and uh, then we went back and I picked up Italier, uh Aisha, and finished that. Now we're working on Manicamia 2. So basically, going through the entire Gust gamut here. Mm. After that's done, we're gonna take a breather and do the uh, HD remastered versions of uh, Final Fantasy 10 and 10 2.
0: My condolences.
2: Shut your fucking face. <laughs> uh, I've
0: seen that bad, to be honest. I'm not really here to argue the merits of the whole thing, but... Did they change the voice acting? Probably not. It's Square Enix.
1: Uh, I,
2: I Hoping that a re-release of the game would fix the translation problem because oh my God, the Square EA version blows. All of the a lot of the subtlety and the subtext of the of the plot, I think, is lost in the English version of this game. Uh, it, it was a pretty
1: abstract
2: game. Well, I mean that that's because. Spoiler alert! Everything was kind of based on a dream. <laughs> a chance to dream. Yeah. Yeah, but
0: is still popular. <laughs>
2: Anywho, <laughs> um, I don't have much else to tell besides that. It's just you know, it's uh, we've had a we've had a long run working together. Uh, most of us have either been together as co-hosts and listeners since at least 2011 mm-hmm. and uh some of us longer than that yeah. and uh this it, it feels weird to be making a final sign off but it 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 just I don't want to say it's goodbye forever it's more like until we meet again <laughs> yeah. but uh it it it's kind of it was kind of a It was both an easy and difficult decision to decide to move on like this. I've got a lot of irons in the fire, working two jobs, got a million games to play. I've got two novels I have to finish this year, plus a graphic novel that I have to colorize. Damn. Uh, And and there's some very big stuff developing with Starship Art that I cannot talk about at all. Oh
0: man, Starship
2: classified. <laughs> uh or as we uh or as uh, Kurt used to call it Starship Moonshine. Shiv <laughs> <laughs> shiv. <laughs> well. We're st- like I said, we're still gonna be doing up late with Mace. Uh we're still sister shows. It's yep. gonna be cross promotion. Uh sadly Mike is still there. Oh <laughs> well, we haven't thrown him on the bus yet? Damn it. <laughs> Well, I haven't told them that this week the season is the seasons here, so'll <laughs> <laughs> let it figure it out the hard way <laughs> maybe
0: yeah.
2: I'm actually telling you this right now, <laughs>
0: and I guess you just told me as the as well.
2: Busting going like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh,
0: so, I had some interesting shit happen this week.
1: Go on.
0: Thursday, it got so cold the pipe frozen bursted. Oh, uh, that's always you. loads of fun. I'm just glad I was downstairs because I almost, I was literally 15 minutes away from walking upstairs. <laughs> Where did it explode? On our downstairs kitchen right behind the sink. Ooh, that's messy. Yeah, I'm just glad it was this sink that we cleaned everything out of. So yeah, I had a fun time jumping on top of the dryer to get to the water shutoff valve. <laughs> Messed up my ankle, so I've been not being able to walk right for the past few days. And we have a giant hole in our wall because my dad had to seal the pipe. Because where it broke, we'd have to literally cut off that part of the counter, rip and rip out the sink and stuff, replace the pipe, and then put it in a whole new counter. Ooh, that's what about hey. is this, this going to be okay with insulation and stuff? Or our house is a hundred, a little over a hundred years old. We don't have insulation. Fair enough.
2: <laughs> Installation is, uh, bear skins taped to the wall.
0: (laughs) If you're lucky. Yep. Mmm,
2: crunchy
1: cheese. Uh, anyway, so, Gallix, what's going on with you this week?
0: Oh, not a whole ton. Uh, my role-playing campaign seems to be going pretty smoothly, and, uh, well, there was that Nintendo Direct earlier, and I'm a little bit excited about several of the things they announced, but I imagine we might talk about that at some point, so I won't go on about that forever right now.
1: I imagine if we talk about it, it's going to be in the post-show.
2: But, anyway, uh, Ogre, how about you? Well, it pretty alright around here. Not
0: much to complain, but I picked up a few games myself, but
2: I picked up Shantae's Pirate Curse game, which has been quite fun to play. Uh,
0: I picked up Ika-chan, which is that like cute little Metroidvania-esque squid game. <laughs> and that's been pretty fun. And then I picked up Harvest Moon uh, 3 for the Game Boy Color, which I haven't gotten to yet, but... Uh, I will eventually, and then life will be consumed, because <laughs> Tarvest Moon kind of really
1: takes your attention
0: away from it. Yeah. Um, let's play-wise, we're doing another short little game, which I'm going to hold off to until afterwards, because it's more fun that way.
1: Is it a game you've been looking forward to, or is it just... some well, We've
0: been meaning to do it for quite some time, it's just that we never got to it. Right. by the time we wanted to get around to it, a couple other people decided to do it and kind of went like, hmm, may want to hold off on this one for a while. But I love it when all of the less Players I follow in the entire Internet are doing the same game at the same time. <laughs> it feels a little too samey for me. Yeah. But other than that, you know, can't complain, then... Everything's been all right so far. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, nothing's fallen on my head yet. No pipes have frozen and bursted for you? Uh, no, thank God for that much.
2: And let's see, uh, Naka had his birthday. uh, Oh, yeah, Naka is officially 29 years old now.
0: Happy birthday, Naka.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah. For your presence, I got you to be here more often. <laughs> it seems it hasn't reached him yet. No, it has not. But uh, that's, well, that's pretty much about it. I mean, can't say much for what
2: Naka's up to because
1: well, that's to, his shtick. Yeah, I talked to him briefly uh, the other day. He said he had a good birthday. He didn't really do much, but you know,
0: he he, he did. You know, he didn't feel like his day was wasted. He apparently ate so much he got kind of sick afterwards. Which is new for him, I'll tell you that much.
1: <laughs> yeah, not because wasn't really much of an overeat.
0: Uh well you get chicken Alfredo near him and I'm pretty sure he could out, he could just put the restaurant out of business.
1: <laughs> uh and as far as his other MLP, he says it's going fairly well. He's past the biggest hump so far So, from here, he's playing the game mostly for fun. Uh, I managed
0: to talk about the Ridley episode without being too controversial, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, I certainly hope so, because not for nothing, his his very long-form essays do kind of clash with the game at times, like, as you Hmm. noted, sometimes he actually stops the game to talk about what he's talking about.
0: Yeah.
1: That's not, you know, that's not the best flowing thing out there, but... Hopefully uh, that's all, you know, in the past now.
2: That's all over.
0: All <laughs> <It's not> right, <laughs> moving along here. Yeah.
1: All right, on that note, Merrily, we move along to the interview. Now, uh, This week we are welcoming Forrest Dowling of the Molasses Flood. All right, Forrest, are you there? I am here. All right, so first question is your company name a reference to the great
0: Bo- Boston molasses flood? Uh, yes, it is. It is, in fact.
2: Yes. <laughs> 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 it would be,
0: that would be a pretty remarkable coincidence as a Boston-based company were it not to be a reference <laughs> to that. Yeah. We suspected
1: as much, but we weren't sh- we've actually been spending all week w- debating if it has been a reference or not.
0: I assure you every name that we thought about was accompanied with many Google searches. So even if we did randomly stumble across it, we would have realized it pretty early on, I think.
1: All right. So
0: I guess the other question is why reference the molasses flood? Um, well, when we were looking for a name, um, yeah. there was like a bunch of different criteria that we wanted to, to meet. Um, you know, uh, one of the most basic ones is it couldn't already be taken. Um, But we also wanted it to be a name that told a story in some way. And we also wanted it to be something that was grounded in truth in some way or another. Like that was always, that's something that's like really important creatively to us is just sort of, you know, doing your homework and looking at history for inspiration and so on and so forth. So we were looking for um, what, and in doing that, I'd come across like some various, you know, stories or things that were interesting and was batting around ideas and um, but they weren't really local. So I started looking at, you know, local history, Boston history, since that's where we're located and where we wanted to start the company. And, um, you know, very quickly, like it's a pretty well-known event, at least locally. Um, I came across the Molasses flood and I'm like, wow, that's a really great sort of, it's a great name. Like it just has a good cadence to it and it's, um, amazingly totally available. Nobody's calling their business that, um, and there it also like now a really have a band name then. Is there? <laughs> yeah, I know there was. I I did see that, but I think like we're um, you know, in terms of what you can trademark and copyright, we're far enough away from a a band from the early 2000s um that I think we're okay. Um and uh it told an interesting story, you know, like it's one of those things that I think You know, people hear about it and they kind of it's like it's funny immediately because it's like a weird thing. The streets are flooded. There was literally a flood of molasses in Boston. Um, But then, you know, you learn more about it and there's actually like a really dark side to it. Um, You know, people literally died. Yeah. Like it was (laughs) it was totally a tragedy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, But it's one of those things where I really like that contrast where, you know, it's like a funny thing at first. And then, you know, as you sort of scratch the surface a little bit, you learn a little bit more about it. Um, But then at the same time, like, you know, obviously the cost is not really worth it, but there was a lot of good to come out of it, too, in that there was, you know, reforms and things like, um, regulation of industrial sites and zoning regulations and whatnot to help prevent this sort of thing from happening in the future, um, sort of in the wake of the civil trial that followed it. Um, but anyway, like rate, it, it just hit a lot of the points that we were looking for. It also, we were looking for something that was off-kilter, that didn't sound like a typical video game company name, you know? Um, and it, it just sort of hit all those points. So that's why we went with it. Yeah, I think you generally succeeded in coming up with a good, memorable name that makes people think a bit yeah we're a little worried about it just because like you know obviously as you mentioned like why pick this name it it is it is a, a tragedy this huge industrial accident um but one thing that sort of seemed okay about it is you know in talking with people locally about it you know people who don't know us who don't know the company generally the response actually universally the response has just been like that's awesome i love it you know, like even opening a bank account <laughs> at a local bank, the guy was like, the molasses flood. Like, the molasses flood? Love it. You know, so it seems like it's something that people from around here really like, the fact that we're, you know, referencing something that is nationally not really known, but is certainly a well-known piece of local lore. Right. Yeah,
1: like, you know, as far as the tragic aspects, I will note that this happened in, what, 1919?
0: yeah, we're sneaking uh, ninety five years ago now, and we're sneaking up we're actually at the anniversary in five days. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm full of molasses flood lore right now because I'm in the midst of reading uh, Dark Tide, which is a book about the molasses flood, actually, so I, I'm pretty like I'm, I'm as spun up on it as I will ever be. If you ask me facts about it in two weeks' time, I will probably not know much. Oh. <laughs>
1: uh as much as I would like doing that, there
0: is a game to focus on. Yeah, we are making one of those, for sure. Yeah.
1: But but before we get into that, what what is your uh, background? What is your team's background?
0: Um, we're, mo- the majority are formerly uh, from Irrational Games, where we worked on Bioshock Infinite. Uh, myself, I was the lead level designer there. and um, I've done level design for a bunch of years. Um, previously was at a studio in New York called Chaos, Um, and, uh, let's see, you know, we have the art director from Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite, and, uh, we've got, um, a couple people who are not on Infinite. Um, one guy who's sitting trying to figure out a bug right now next to me, uh, Bryn, who is an engineer at Harmonix. And, um, we also are working with a guy who is the lead AI programmer from Halo 2 and 3. Uh, there's six of us all together, a pretty small team, but, you know, we've all been Making games, we've all made games together at one point or another in the past. Um, but that's that's basically our background. We've all had careers making really big, expensive games, and now we're making a you know much less expensive game. Well,
1: was that a conscious decision, or was that just kind of
0: well, like irrational games, basically closing down? Yeah, I mean th- that happened obviously. So you know, if we wanted to stay in the area, the the possibility of making a huge game didn't really exist. Um, But we did all, you know, turn down opportunities and job offers where we could have gone and, you know, worked for other similarly scaled teams and projects.
1: And so what... Right, so let's talk about uh, the flame and the flood. What made you want to do a rope
2: light?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the ideas came about... Like, it wasn't that we sat down and were like, we're doing a rogue light game, you know, cause it's, it's not, it, that doesn't roll off the tongue, but it is technically correct for the sort of game we're making. Um, you know, initially it was just, uh, myself and the art director, uh, Scott having conversations about the sort of game we'd make if we want, if we were to make a smaller one. And this was just like theoretical at the time, you know, like the studio had just closed and, you know, I was, you know, looking at getting a job somewhere. Um, but, you know, we were talking about things like he wanted to make a game that sort of explored the idea of a tiny world, you know, like a, a world that you can explore and you're a character within and you sort of are looking down on it, you know, a third-person game like that. And I was really interested in the idea of sort of the growth of survival mechanics and in some ways I wanted to see if there was a way to um, to to make, like, an elegant presentation um, for survival mechanics. And then these, these ideas kind of came together and, you know um, – transformed into the game that we ended up, you know, you've seen on Kickstarter and whatnot. Um, but it didn't it didn't necessarily start out as a rogue thing. Um, in some ways, like, the, the rogue aspect is procedurally generated, which is just kind of a smart thing to do if you're a small team and you want to get a lot of bang for the buck in terms of the effort you put into it. You know, like, we're used to... I'm used to making, you know, levels in a game like Bioshock, which is... I spend a huge amount of time making very specific authored pieces of content that you're going to kind of play through once, you know, like I could spend weeks or months, you know, like we could spend human years of effort on, you know, one scene that a player blasts through in, you know, 30 seconds or something like that. And then they don't really want to play it again because it's, they've seen it. Um, Whereas, you know, the procedural generation side of a, a rogue game means, you know, that I can spend that same effort, creating like systems that you can constantly sort of interact with and learn and have fun with over and over and over again. Um, so it, that was just very attractive for, you know, working with a small team and doing something where, you know, we knew we weren't going to make a huge amount of content, like a huge volume of content. Um, so you look at ways that you can get the most mileage for the, the content you can make. Right. So that's kind of how we ended up there.
1: Yeah, and we've uh, had uh, other developers on the show who were who doing the procedural generation. Now, uh, just to qu- clarify, you're calling this a rogue light and not a rogue light. Yeah. What is the difference?
0: So, according to the Berlin interpretation of the roguelike, um, and did my homework on this because I had kind of a uh, stickler for language. Um, like a true rogue or rogue like game uh, features procedural generation um, and is turn based um, and features tile based movement. Um, we are not turn based, nor do we feature tile based movement, even though we are procedurally generated and we do feature uh, permadeath. So we basically hit like two of, I think, what are kind of the four main points of what makes a rogue like. Mm-hmm. Um, the rogue uh, it's just like the technically correct way to say it because there are elements of rogue in that it is procedure generated, in permadeath, but we don't do the turn-based combat. We um, don't do tile-based movement. So Interesting. That's, that's why I mean, if you just you know you'll look up rogue on Wikipedia and uh, you'll find all kinds of, um, you know. Well, definitely. I'm sure the comment section is is robust in terms of the arguments that have gone down um, behind it, but. Uh, I just went with sort of the most current interpretation when we we're putting it together, you know, uh, writing about the game and what we we're doing. Right. Uh,
2: I,
1: I'm sure there is, there's a lot, you know there's a lot of debate about these things. You know, you, like some people out there would be surprised how uh, I don't want to. I'm not sure what the proper word is to use. I want. I don't want to say pedantic
0: because it, it's not being overly, you know analytical, but you could describe me as being pedantic about it. That's fine. I don't, not, <laughs> I'm not, talk- not going to judge. I'm <laughs> not going to, I don't mind it. I, I will embrace that label. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about, you know, like people who get way too
1: worked up about term, Terminal.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I think there's value in just sort of understand, like being a stickler for what language means, you know, right. um, but uh, in this case, like, we could have gone roguelike, and I don't think anybody would have really called foul or anything like that. It's more just, you know, me being silly about it, I guess. <laughs> well, when I heard <laughs> that, when when I heard the term roguelite, I was wondering if the changes were of a variety that would have made the game easier or anything, because light has, sometimes has implications of easiness. But it sounds like uh, you just went... <clears throat> For, I mean, you still have the the permadeath and the procedure generation are basically the parts that often make rogue games very hard, although some of that depends on whether or not they're kobolds in the first level that can randomly spawn what they want of death. <laughs> sure, um, sure. Uh, <laughs> um, but the things that you seem to be doing are mostly those things that are sort of the spirit of the thing, but you are le- letting up on some of the mechanical stuff yep. that is arguably more archaic in design. I mean, yeah, I, I like so drum-based stuff, but... Yeah, me too. Like, actually, I, I love... You know, one of my very, very early inspirations is actually, um, uh, I was actually playing a little game called Hoplite on my phone. I don't know if you're familiar with it, um, but it's like it's a hex-based... It's like the simplest version of a roguelike dungeon crawler that you can imagine with... Um, and it's purely hex-based. It's super simple. It's an amazing game, for what it's worth. You should, all should check it out. Um, but I, I was, like, I guess from the start of things, I was interested in, like, boiling things down in a way, like getting to the heart of, you know, what makes something work. Um, so I, in some ways, like, I, I think that, you know, tile-based movement or turn-based combat, that kind of stuff, can be really interesting um, and not necessarily archaic. Um mm-hmm. But it it just wasn't right for what we were doing. That's all. So well, let's talk about the actual name. Is the flame and the Flood a literal thing or is it metaphorical? I think it's much more metaphorical. All right. Well, what what is like the
1: story of the of the game?
0: Um, I'm not going to go into like too great a detail. Like I think that you know we we've talked a lot internally about the story and what is significant and what is not. And for us, like the most significant story, the top one is just the story of the player's experience. So, you know, we're first and foremost focused on like the mechanical experience and building, um, like a set of mechanics and, uh, you know, um, loot tables and, uh, encounter tables and stuff like this so that you actually have like an interesting arc, um, every time you play. And then like the second more important story for us beyond the, after the player story is like one of the mood and tone of the world and just creating like a, feel um more than a specific plot or narrative and then after that is sort of the plot and the overarching narrative that occurs but that's the sort of thing that we want the player to piece together slowly as they play through the game um like through multiple times the idea you know like very much like a classic rogue type game the idea is that you know you could theoretically sit down the first time you play it and you could beat the game the first time you sit down but it's you're probably not going to because you don't know how it works, and part of the process of playing the game is learning it um but also part of the process of playing this game is as you travel and explore you're going to encounter people in this world and you can you know have conversations with them um, and they can start to fill you in on like what's going on in the world and you know um, like what's happened and where it's going and how you fit into it and all that um, but that's the sort of thing that builds up over time because there's no way to play through the game and see everybody and get and learn everything, you know, in one shot. We we want things like, you know, encounters with with people to be a pretty special thing when it happens. Like it's not something that just every minute or two you're, you know, you hit a conversation tree. It's like, you know, maybe in a half hour you encounter one person or something and then you can have a brief conversation with them before they, you know, have had enough with you and are on their way, that sort of thing. So. I'll say that there is like there is a story that runs through it, and your character has goals, and you can accomplish those goals, and so on and so forth. But like a lot of the specifics about the story of the world, it, it, I think is going to be part of the fun of the game. It's just you know uncovering that stuff and piecing together, um, you know what happened.
1: So would you also define this game as? I, I believe the term is like emergent gameplay, like putting it in line with games like Daisy, Don't Starve sure you're being hunted uh, and so
0: on and so forth? I hope so. That's You know, that's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> is to create something where, you know, there's a fair amount of uh, player discovery. You know, one advantage that a game like KZ has is with multiplayer. Like, you, you have an emergence machine, you know, there's like other players adding chaos into the system. Um, you know, in some ways I think like we've been thinking about this in a really like kind of squint and you can see it um, as a combination of Don't Starve and FTL. Um, I don't know if you've played that at all, but you know it's sort of taking the idea of like the survival mechanics uh, of a game like Don't Starve and combining it with the idea of like a journey, like FTL or you know the Oregon Trail to go back to an earlier influence. Right. Well, you've got a destination, and you're always moving. Like you're not building up a base or something like that, um, and you're just sort of uh much like don't starve you're fighting against your own limita- the, the limitations of your own frail body in in a harsh world you know where you're staying warm and you're staying fed and you're drinking water and that kind of thing so it's a pretty full on survival game yeah yeah i think so absolutely
1: uh, and so what made you uh, choose a river setting
0: well, so we knew one of the sort of the early ideas that we wanted to do, like one way that we wanted to, you know, make ourselves different from other, uh, other survival games, because there's a lot out there, was really focusing on the idea of a journey, you know? So it's like it's, it's what you got in your, in your backpack and, you know, as you, as you go on your, your trek. And we started thinking about, like, well, what are, there, what are different ways that we can manifest a journey and then we also need to keep in mind small team we can't build you know North America um, like right. it just wouldn't be plausible so we started looking at like journey and uh, you know the idea of the journey and um, the river is like nice in that it's contained you know in that you know you can go down a river and if you're traveling a river you're limited and, you know in some ways in terms of where you can go so we're like well we can not do that and then there's also this really great sort of there's a there's a great history to the idea of the fiction of traveling down a river, you know, there's like Huck Finn and um Heart of Darkness and so on and so forth. And actually, um we pretty quickly arrived at like shooting for sort of Southern America um as a tonal inspiration. Um and I I think uh, Scott and myself had both watched Beasts of the Southern Wild um around that time and were in love with that world. So then the idea of like the flood and the river and the south, like they all sort of coalesced, and then the river fit in with all that as well and that's um that's kind of where all that came from hmm.
1: well, it certainly gives it a unique aesthetic you know, like, I haven't seen too many games like this
0: I hope so you know it it helps that i I get to work with um like one of the things when starting this company, you know I was sort of weighing like um go indie, start a studio, and don't get paid at all um, versus, you know, going to, you know, take another job doing a similar, like a design lead position somewhere, which would be similar to what I was doing before. Um, but one of the reasons I decided to do this is had the opportunity to work with the guy who was, you know, the art director on Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite, And I thought, you know, um, I do not really have you know, this opportunity to like start a studio with a guy of this caliber and quality does not come along every day.
1: It's like uh the opportunity came along so you might as well jump
0: in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well,
1: I mean, well how's the indie experience
0: been for you so far? Um I it's been great for us for sure. Um you know, I, in some ways like we're super lucky. You know, we've We've got a lot of really experienced friends, and you know, people who are able to help us out a lot, and have been able to get a lot of great advice. And you know, even before like showing anything off or you know launching a Kickstarter, we we're able to get really experienced people to just help us. Um, so you know, that that's been really good. It was scary going into a Kickstarter for sure, um, but that went really well. Um, oh, it's been really rewarding, you know, um, thus far. Like it's certainly um it's not as comfortable as you know just working for somebody and having them kind of you know give you a paycheck every two weeks and give you health insurance and you know all that stuff um so it it's a little scarier in that regard, but it's, you know it's um it's really rewarding too to just kind of come into work every day and you know what I'm doing is what i exactly what I want to be doing with a very small group of people and, exactly who I want to be working with, and, um, yeah, it's you know, it's great so far.
1: Yeah, I can, we can definitely relate, because that, that's kind of how this show works. I mean, you know, most of us do have day jobs, but, you know, it's a small band of people doing what we want to be doing.
0: No, it's cool. Like, that's what I did for, before I got my job, you know, a job actually making games professionally, uh, I spent, you know, years, I just did, I worked at an Apple store doing tech support. Uh, and I would come home every night and uh, work on a mod um, mm-hmm. with uh, a bunch of people. Like we just worked on a Half Life Two mod, and uh, was, I love doing that kind of thing.
1: Right. And uh, so, does the Flame in the Flood use real world uh, rivers, or is it uh,
0: like uh, fictional? Uh, it's all it's fictional. I I don't think I. We didn't want to put like a very specific like we want to put a region and a feel. To it, but I don't want to put like a very specific like, right. you know, this is the date. Yeah, Look here, not, it is on a map. You know,
1: you're not going down the mighty Mississippi or anything.
0: Not necessarily, but you know, it, it, it certainly should feel that way at, at points. Yeah, but it could be it could be some other river too. You know, I I think it's more interesting to just kind of be a little non-specific about that kind of thing. Um, also, I mean, you've seen. Uh, if you've seen the trailer from that we we put out, yes. we, our, our level of fidelity is not, you know, we're not shooting for a photo real world in any way. No. I mean, we're shooting for something that is that has, um, we're, we're, we want to describe it as like an illustrated world. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's not, there's definitely not a map that we're conforming to or anything like that.
1: So get, getting back to procedural generation for a bit, yeah, I remember reading your Kickstarter notes that you wanted your game to break the principles of pseudo-randomization. Yeah. So can yeah. elaborate on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, basically, it's like the idea is that, you know, things are... Um, Things come in in a way that is not the same every time, but there's a fair amount that's authored about it as well. So what we're really doing is the programmers are are writing a lot of code to essentially assemble a lot of authored components. You know, um, in some ways, I think it's in a way like probably for us like a simpler way, but something like the way like Diablo three might work you know, where there's, you know, chunks and pieces and whatnot that can get socketed together in an infinite number of ways. Um, but you're never going to hit a point where it's just like complete, you know, crazy town, um, where, you know, uh, uh, tractors are, you know, popping out of rooftops and, um, you know, you, you find an island made entirely of like gas station parts or something like that, you know, like there's, there, we want to build things in a way that still feels like it's it's a correct sort of natural uh, world right. um, while still not being, you know, predictable. You can never know, oh, yeah, this is going to be what happens next and then this is going to be what happens after that, you know. Um, so that's kind of um, the idea there is to sort of try and get the best where you get the replayability from, you know, not really knowing exactly where anything going to be, Um but you still feel like you're in a coherent world uh, uh, as you play.
1: Uh, That makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, uh, you know, you you keep it grounded in reality, so to speak.
0: Yeah, or at least within our own internal, like, you know, our own internal internal. rule set. Like it's internally consistent, I guess.
1: And so uh, tell us a bit about the crafting system
0: um it's not you know groundbreaking in any way it's basically the way the system works is you've got a long list of recipes and we show you what you can or can't craft um we're still trying to decide exactly how much we want that to be driven by discovery and how much we want that to be sort of the knowledge of the character that you're playing as has so then through the uiu as the player have that knowledge um but essentially the way it works is you find components and uh, you have recipes and you, if you've got all the components, you can make the thing. Um, and, and that's about it. Like it's not, um, we're not doing like a highly analog crafting system or something where, you know, you could take a stick and then just start slapping weird things onto it. And then you have a stick with stuff on it. Like it is very much, um, things like, you know, find a certain number of like hides and, you know, the, the cord you need to bind it together. And then from that you can make a jacket, um, Yeah, it is very much like, uh, actually, like the Don't Starve crafting system, or um, it's not that dissimilar from, um, like, I've just been playing How to Survive recently. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that game or played it at all. I've Um, I've heard of it before. they, They just have a very simple combined crafting system where, you know, you can combine two things, and then that makes a part that you can then combine with other things to make another part, and, you know, so on and so forth. So eventually... In that game, it's about fighting zombies, so you end up with things like, you know, the, the riding lawnmower that the shotgun flash chainsaw or something um, that, you know, you get through, like, combining uh, half dozen different things. So that, that's the basic crafting system is you find different pieces, and then you can craft stuff, and then, you know, the there's also, like, the fire component. There's certain things that you can build that you can only or make that you can only make with fire. Um, but some of this stuff is really simple. Like you're not making necessarily really complicated stuff. We're looking a lot at, you know, just basic survival, wilderness survival and guides and that kind of thing. Um, so a, a thing you could craft, for example, would be uh, sterilized water. Um, is a thing you can craft. So, like, you can get water anywhere. You're on a river, but it's like a flooded river and it is highly suspect. And you can drink that water, but it's not like, that's not a good idea. Um, which if you, you know, have any experience with any sort of wilderness survival, generally you don't just drink water you find lying around, um, particularly not in a flood situation. So, you know, you need to do things like find a fire or find a place you can have a fire. Uh, And then if you've got a bunch of, you know, suspect water, you can, you know, purify it there. Uh, Or also, you know, if you'd collected um, things like uh elderberries, which are can make you sick just eating on their own, but if you stew them, they you can get rid of the toxins and then those become edible or milkweed, you know, you can stew that to the point where it, it becomes edible. Um, that kind of thing. Like we're trying to keep it all very grounded, you know, the sort of things that you would see from like a modern standpoint, like if you're watching um Survivor Man or something like that, you know, the sort of stuff that you see Les Stroud doing in the wilderness is kind of our, our goal for that kind of thing. You know?
1: Right. Uh, and let me see. So what can you uh, tell us about the uh, player character? Is, is it an avatar or is it uh, her own character, the scouts?
2: Yeah, I think it, it's
0: somewhere kind of in between. Like, we don't want to put a lot of language into it. Like, we don't want to put words into her mouth for you because, you know, you're as a player – you're inhabiting this character. And I think that that's like a sort of a fine line to walk where, you know, do you make the character you're playing as be like this fully fleshed out character with their own personality that maybe disagrees with you, the player, or do you let them be like a full on, um, like just a cipher that holds you as the player and your inputs. And they're just an extension of what you want them to be. So for her, we're trying to, you know, sort of land somewhere in the middle where, She's got some personality, but it's expressed more through animation than anything said. Um, And she's got experience, and that's sort of, we're using that as an excuse for things like how you actually know survival stuff, you know, Um, because she knows survival stuff. So, you know, by extension, you, the player, know survival stuff. Um, And she has her motivations and goals, which is, you know, it's our job to communicate those to you, so you, you know, want to do that. But at the same time, I don't think she's like, like I couldn't tell you the politics of her or anything like that. Like she's not a full on character in that sense, you know? Um, So I I feel like that's not a great answer, but her goal is to basically be somewhere in between where there's somebody that there's enough about them that has like a personality that you can relate to in some way, but there's a there's little enough that it doesn't sort of override your desires, you know, as a player and you don't hit points where you're just like, well, that's stupid, why are they doing that, you know, like, it's, it is your character, you are playing this game, right? and, you know, driving.
1: And, uh, speaking of characters, uh, what about the animal companion?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Aesop is, uh, just your, your, your faithful dog, I mean, <laughs> I think a part we wanted Aesop to sort of serve, well, I think the topic later is, uh, uh, uh Fable, if I'm not mistaken, and, I I think that that's, like, actually a good use of a dog. Like, we wanted, in some ways, um, to create a character that you could travel with that would reflect more of the emotion of what's going on uh, than the character themselves would. So that was one of the reasons that we wanted a dog companion. Um, there's a mechanical reason, like, it's also a source of, you know, extra inventory spaces. Um and a means of softening some of the blow of, you know, permadeath in that, you know, Aesop is kind of magical in that when you when you die in the world, when you start a new game, Aesop's going to have the stuff that was he was carrying um, when your last game ended. Um, and then there's also just the fact that, like, I have a couple dogs. The art is a dog lover. Like, we just like dogs. I love dog companions. Like, I think that there's something just... Uh, in some ways, like sometimes we'll do things that are maybe not the best idea, but because we really like the image of it, and I just really love the image of just kind of going down this river on this lashed-together raft. It's just you alone in the big world, except you've got one friend with you, and that's your dog, um, and we also we do want ASOP to do things like help sort of serve like a UI in some ways, you know, call out things in the world, maybe... Um, point out things that you didn't, you wouldn't have been able to see were there that you can collect that can help you survive that kind of thing.
1: And uh, and what about the raft?
0: Yeah, the raft is just kind of a fun like it's a, a cobbled together. Uh, we call it the piece of ship. Um, it's just uh, <laughs> it's just like sort of a a junk raft that um, has been put together by pieces of you know, various detritus that's that's been scavenged and whatnot. And uh, as a player plays, um, one of the goals we hit with our Kickstarter, we wanted to be able to support customization so you can upgrade it in various ways. Um, And there's, you know, a couple types. There's cosmetic upgrades where it's just, you know, you add flags or different hood ornaments, that kind of thing. Like the design of it right now is really just um, about eight barrels uh, with a bunch of planks of old, you know, the planks are old uh, business signs and stuff lashed on the top with the hood of an old car on the front. and sort of a storage spot. Um, and uh, a, a buck skull uh, sitting on the front of that. So yeah, the idea is we want people to be able to, you know, like get different hood ornaments and different, you know, like put a flag on it, put different signs on it, just customize it in different ways. Um, but it's it's basically just a, we want it to just be like a cool looking lash together, junk raft basically.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can definitely see that idea coming through. And uh, let me see. so tell us a bit about the music. Yeah,
0: that's by um, a friend of the studio, uh, Chuck Reagan, um, who was uh, he was frontman in Hot Water Music, which was a uh, sort of a post-punk band that was uh, big through, kind of one of the most active, like late 90s, much of the 2000s. Um, and he's doing more like alt-country now um,
1: yeah.
0: doing a lot of solo work and whatnot. And, um, we knew we wanted, you know, music to be an important part of the game. And we we're looking at different sort of potential musicians that we could work with. And, uh, uh, Scott, the art director had suggested, he's like, Hey, well, you know, I've done album art for this guy for years and we've been great friends for, you know, since our college days, which was a long time ago. Um, maybe we should reach out to my friend Chuck and see if he's interested. So, uh you know it it helps to have friends you know that it, that have these sorts of connections so we got in touch with him and described what we wanted to do and he was he was like yeah man that sounds awesome all about it let's do it and uh he was pretty much immediately on board like he's he's a big outdoorsman himself um like he's usually uh sometimes have a hard time getting a hold of him if we need to deal with something cuz he's you know just disappeared in the country fishing uh for a while um but, yeah, he he was just really into the idea of, like, making music for a survival game, and we really wanted something that we thought music-wise a lot of what we were aiming towards was things that, you know, were acoustic, um, were traditional American in many ways. Um, we were looking at, like, various types of um, folk and country and bluegrass and that kind of thing, and what he was doing felt like a, a perfect fit um, and, you know, it helped that he was really into the project and was on board with it, so... Uh, we got lucky like the the track in the 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 kickstarter trailer was it's called the flame and the flood and uh obviously he wrote it based on the game like we had (laughs) given him a whole bunch of sort of words for you know mood and tone and whatnot that we wanted to achieve and um, we said here's the trailer uh gave him a rough cut and it's like you know two two and a half minutes long uh here's what happens in it and here's kind of the moods you want. he was like, cool. And he turned on this great track uh, for us. So it ended up working out, working out great, and I'm really excited to hear what he does next um, as far as actually, like, recording the full album uh, to go along with it. So,
1: uh, so is he recording the full album for the, for the game, or
0: is it based on the game? Uh, both. <laughs> like, he's he's recording a full album, Um and there's going to be, you know, instrumental pieces. There's, we're using it as the score of the game uh, as well. So it's, it is for the game, um, but it's based on, like, all the various ideas and, you know, um, the, the story of the game and the world and whatnot.
1: Now, uh, now uh, on to the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, you reached most of your funding goals and stretch goals, yes?
0: yeah uh the only one we didn't hit was um we had had a uh p s four stretch goal uh, that we did not reach
1: so and on that note is uh is this game only
0: coming to like the p c uh, uh, that's the only thing we have to announce at the moment you know it's you know as an indie studio one of our goals is you know you want your game out as many places as possible, and we're gonna you know we're working to see how we can support you know, additional platforms uh, down the line, but we don't really have anything yet that is solid. Uh, At this point, the the plan is we support the PC, like we said, the Mac version, uh, like we said, obviously. Um, And hopefully it does well, and that puts us in a situation where we can bring it to additional platforms down the line. Um, But it's not, it's something that, it's not, you know, um, as expensive or crazy now as it was a few years ago to do that sort of thing or to bring it to consoles but it's not nothing either. Um, okay. You know, and it's not even so much the costs and whatnot of bringing it to the consoles. It's the time that it takes to do so and support them on our side um, that we need to account for. Uh, okay. But, yeah, nothing's off the table yet, um, but nothing's on the table aside from the PC and Mac version either. So, oh. we hope we hope though, we, we've had a lot of requests so, for console versions, so we hope that we can do it. And we are supporting right off, you know, from day one, it's been our goal to support, um, uh, gamepad. um, even for the PC version. Like I'm myself, I spend, like, when I go home at night, I've been, you know, sitting at the computer all day. Uh, I tend to, even when I'm playing a PC game, like recline my chair and put my feet up and kick back and play with a controller. Um, and I know Scott's the same way as well. So for us, uh, it was really important, even though we both are primarily PC gamers, that we support the controller. Because we're also, I don't know, maybe this is like uh, a, a sin in the world of PC gaming, but I'm primarily a PC gamer who usually uses a controller. <laughs> so that was really important for me. For
1: me, it depends on the game. You know, it's like if so I'm playing a console-style game, then I'll use a controller. If I'm playing like an FPS I gotta have the mouse and keyboard.
2: See, this is that's
0: where I'm the worst sinner of all because I I play FPSs with a, a controller,
1: and but
0: I don't I don't play multiplayer uh, with a controller. I like that's just well, my father. Yeah, th- that was just be mad. Yeah, I'm I, terrible with keyboards, but I don't usually play the kinds of games where you really need them. So, yeah.
1: But uh, well, anyway, are you also investigating doing a Linux version?
0: yep looking at it that's gonna be really when we're much closer to release we're we're gonna be looking at it. It's really gonna come down to like how good is linux support um through the engine where through unreal that we're using at the time that we we get there and um you know what's the overhead gonna be but you know i I would certainly like to do that. we had a lot of requests for that during the Kickstarter campaign um but it's one of those things that we'll be able to say for sure when we're a lot closer to release and are you know, hitting a point where we're essentially content locked on the PC version and have the Mac version pretty much done, and are feeling good about that, and then are, can start looking at like you know what the um, you know what the possibilities are, or what the costs are going to be to bring it to another you know to additional platforms, or you know what what are our support costs going to be associated with bringing it to Linux? Because like, I understand that some of the big issues actually come down to just working with the uh, um, graphics drivers. You know, so it's one of those things that if it works, great, we'll do it. If it's going to be like really, really hard to do, we may not. Um, but I really won't know for for quite a while yet.
1: And are you using uh, like your own custom engine, or are you using like Unity or something?
0: No, we're we're using Unreal Four.
1: Ah, oh, Unreal Four. Yep. It's like that's uh, that's actually pretty rare. I don't encounter too many uh, devs who are using ue 4
0: right now. Yeah, I think, like, well, when we were looking at engines, it was, you know, we were deciding what we wanted to use, and um, it was last spring, uh, and Epic had just announced their new licensing terms, uh, and they're like, you know, you can use the engine for 20 bucks a month, and then they have, like, basically a revenue share as a licensing um, agreement thing. Um, but uh, that, like, Unreal was not on the table for us at all until that happened, you know, until they um, they introduced those new terms, and I think that we were able to get something stood up and announced and whatnot pretty fast. Uh, we were really familiar with Unreal. Like, I've used Unreal for uh, close to a decade now um, professionally, uh, but I suspect that of people that are using it. Like there's probably not a lot that's ready to show yet. Um, And also, you know, unity has, is like the king in terms of market share on, uh, for the indie space. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
0: they're just really well established and people, you know, have a lot of experience using it. There's a really big community. It's a pretty powerful tool. So, you know, it's, I think Epic is fighting an uphill battle now to sort of win back, uh, Smaller developers. I I
1: uh, I'm a person that I've lost track of the amount of devs who have come onto the show who are doing
0: the gaming. It's a great it's a great environment for sure. Like I played around with it a lot. It was we did a pretty uh, pretty detailed uh, evaluation between the two. But you know one of the things that tipped the scales for us. Um, I mean, this I don't know how interesting this is to you guys. Like, this is uh, pretty deep into, like, why you pick an engine. Um, but, you know, I'm working with two engineers who are both extremely experienced people who have been, you know, senior-level engineers mm-hmm. on major titles for a long time. And the fact that Unreal gives um, access to the source code, um, so they really, like, if anything goes wrong, they can get to the very root of it. Um, I think the engineer who's sitting next to me is probably hating me right now for saying this because he is diving deep into it to try and find, like, a weird crash bug <laughs> that we're experiencing. But the fact that y- we didn't have that access Unity was pretty big. And also the fact that, you know, we've got uh, three artists on the team that know Unreal, have used it for a long time, and we knew that art was going to be really important for this game. Uh, and we also knew that we were we really wanted to leverage a lot of like the rendering technology of Unreal, that kind of thing. It made it an easy choice for us. But at the same time, like if somebody came to me, like, you know, somebody who just graduated and like and their friends want to make a game and, you know, they, whatever, I wouldn't necessarily recommend Unreal for them. Um, you know, it depends what they want to do. Yes.
1: All right, so we're getting a bit low on time. So just a couple of questions.
0: Oh, sure. Sorry.
1: No, that's that's
0: fine. We, we
1: like it when guests are very passionate about their project.
0: <laughs> Fair enough.
1: Yeah. but well, how far along is the game at this point in time?
0: I'd say it's really close to alpha, and alpha meaning like there's a uh, early access is um, doing wonders for just like making what alpha and beta and so on and so forth mean even more confusing and unclear. Um, <laughs> but my. My definition is somebody who you know done a bunch of games and has like an understanding of what alpha and beta generally means is like alpha means that everything that is going to be part of the final game exists in some form, you know not a good form, not a fun form, you know not complete it's not pretty, but it's there you know uh so or like all your main features are uh so we're very close to that point where like everything is in and working um you know there's a couple small well small like the ai stuff is not fully done yet like we have wolves we don't have you know the full suite ready but we're getting very close there Um, but the game is playable you know you can travel down a river endlessly and well until you you know die of all the various things that can go wrong and so on and so forth and you can encounter wolves and you can encounter people and um, you know, you can go to different places and things randomly generate as expected and so on and so forth. But that, that's where I'd put us right now. Right. Uh,
1: any pricing or release days, uh, tidbits to share at this time?
0: Uh, so far, you know, we're we're not going for any less than the Kickstarter. <laughs> you know, we've had people back us at that price. So it's, it's a $20 game at least. It, it may be a little higher. We'll see, you know, when it gets closer to release what... What the climate looks like, um, and we're shooting for uh, release over the summer, and we're shooting for um, a Kickstarter backer beta in the spring. Um, we're not sure if we're going to do an early access beyond the Kickstarter backers or not yet, um, but that that's the plan at the moment.: Okay, and
1: finally, would uh, are you open to returning to the program once the game's out?
0: Yeah, for sure,
1: all right. Hey, well, uh Forrest, it was wonderful having you on the program. It Great.
0: a lot. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Uh, no problem. And I look forward to your next visit. Great. Thanks so much. Good talking with you guys. Mm-hmm. Right, take care. Right. Yep. Bye. All
0: right.
1: Normally, this is where we have the transitional music, but, you know, Keith, Meat, Pie, et cetera, et cetera.
0: <laughs>
1: so... Yeah. Welcome to the topic of discussion. This week, we're talking about the Fable
0: franchise. Well, more the Fable trilogy, but... Yeah.
1: Well, the, the, Fable, the Fable franchise can be kind of sorted into the main three games, and then all these other side games, because there's actually quite a few side games at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so, Penny Fang, Penn, you are the one who suggested this topic, so why don't you lead us off?
0: Alright, do we wanna start with well, well what I consider the first game?
1: Well well, the first game is fable.
0: Yes. You so know. I haven't actually played the original Fable, I've played the Lost Chapters.
1: Well that is the first game.
0: Yeah. It is the, it's just yeah, the updated version. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Fable the Lost Chapters is the director's cut, basically. You know. Right. It, it's the it's the first game with added uh, missions, uh, characters, you know, all that good stuff.
0: Basically, if it was released today, the Lost Chapter's content would have been DLC.
1: Yeah, it would be DLC and and uh, bug fix packages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, since it came out in, uh, you know, the days of the Xbox, DLC was a thing back then, but it was uh, a lot rarer. Yeah,
0: because the original Xbox, remember, had a gigabyte hard drive, so... Yeah.
1: Plus, this was... A, plus, Fable the Lost Actors was something that was geared more towards PC. But we'll right. But we that not bit. So, I, I guess we we should start with, you know, what is Fable?
0: Fable is the game by the madman named Peter Molyneux. <laughs> Do we need to go any deeper than that?
1: Oh, we might. So, Fable... Fable, well... There's kind of two fables. There's the fable of the height, and then there's the fable of the actuality. You know, because fable is, especially the first one, is one of the most is one of the fables- is one of the most famously overhyped games of all time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, okay, here's the original title: the Project Ego. And I'm dead serious, you know. You know, this, this, the people was a game that was supposed to revolutionize the, uh, the world. You know, it, it was, you know, you plant a tree seed and it'll grow in real time. And, you know, God, I, I, I don't know. There were just so many lofty promises that I think that kind of blend together after a while. Now, it was supposed to be the greatest game of all time. It was like, it was like every choice had an had a reverberation. You know, it, it's like the smallest, you know, the smallest action would uh, be a, something towards good and evil, and you know, just all these grandiose statements of uh, hype, and the thing that we got. Was a well maybe above average uh, action RPG. Right. I mean, it, that's not to say that Fable isn't bad, but <laughs> it didn't deliver on its promises. Is sugarcoating it? Right. Like, you know, this this game more than any other cemented the refu- the current reputation of the Nirmala. You know
0: namely that he's several steps ahead of what is financially plausible, and possibly one or two ahead of what is technologically possible at the time of, you know...
1: I mean, from, from, uh, from the hype job he was doing on Table 1, it sounded like he wanted to bring an MMO kind of uh, game to, like, uh, the action RPG experience. And that just didn't happen. Like, obvi- shit, I don't think what he was promising was feasible with uh, Xbox One technology, let alone original Xbox technology.
0: I mean, maybe PC, but you have to have one hell of a super PC. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But
1: the overall point is Fable is uh, you know, more renowned for what it's lacking than what, uh, than what it you know. And this is a pattern that will repeat two more times, just, you know, Peter Molyneux basically did the same thing for each game, you know, e- you know, every entry into the Fable franchise is going to be the greatest game ever, and that just didn't happen.
0: Well, he didn't only do it with Fable either, but...
1: No, he did it with the black and white games. But, but like I said, Fable was the pinnacle of this, you know, weird hype job. No, either that or, or the unreleased Milo game. Like, anyone remember that thing? Uh, no. No. That's that weird kid simulator for the Kinect
0: that got canceled? No. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> it sounds like something a pedophile would be going out to get. It's pretty much why it was canceled.
1: <laughs> I, I, and I'm not even kidding about that.
0: <laughs> why, did somebody stand up during the conference go, Can you fuck it?
1: <laughs> no, but... Game, you have to rethink this whole thing, you know.
0: Game canceled on a kind of creepy.
1: Yeah. Sure. So, anyway, that is what Fable isn't. You know, as far as what Fable is, like I said, you know, mostly it's, you know, it's a pretty, you know, in my estimation, it's a pretty unremarkable uh, action RPG. It does... You know, it did bring a few innovations to the table, like, you know, uh, skin scarring and having tattoos. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember a lot of action RPGs that having that stuff, but, you know, those are minor aesthetical things. You know, uh, this is also one of the games that popularized, you know, the dreaded binary moral choices.
0: Yeah. Which was supposed to be a complicated thing where depending on your actions, your character's design and abilities, and the world around them will react to them in slightly different ways, depending on how moral or immoral there have been. Whereas, in fact, it pretty much depends. It pretty much is entirely enveloped in individual quest lines and the final cinematic.
1: Yeah,
0: and Because I was recently playing Lost Chapters, your, your alignment does kind of make certain spells more powerful. Right. And also, when you walk through town, it basically changes what the town folks yell at you. Like, whether they cheer you on or basically call you a bastard.
1: Yeah, but but, but it's far from the, you know, m- monumental innovation that it was promised, once again. Like I said, it's, our you know, hell, even for console RPGs, we had already seen this in the KOTOR games. You know, the KOTOR games had a binary... Uh, moral choice system, uh, as well. So it, even in the, even in those terms, it really didn't innovate anything. You know. It, it just, you know, it's another aspect of the game that's you know inoffensive on its own, but taken taken in the larger context of hype, fault it, it's another aspect of the game that falls flat on its face.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, and, and and that that really is the the thing that. Permeates the, at least in my estimation, the first Fatal game. Because, like, I lived through all that hype, you know, and, you know, what we got just wasn't even near what was promised. And I, I know I keep going back on this, but yeah. that, that is this game's legacy. Now, that being said, it was still very successful you know, selling about mm, two, three million copies.
0: Yeah, something like that. Enough to warrant a sequel.
1: (laughs) Well, it's enough to warrant... It's one of the few uh, franchises born on the Xbox that Microsoft kept around. Right. You know, know, Microsoft was very much experimenting what worked, what didn't work, you know, and,
0: uh, you know...
1: and Fable is also why they bought Lionhead. See, it's not well remembered today, but back when they were making the first Fable, uh, they were an independent company. In fact, they were, back then, they were actually making other games other than Fable. You know, uh, chief among them uh, was Black and White 2 and the movies. There were a couple of other games that didn't, get, that didn't even make the release. The overall point is the the games that weren't Fable bombed terribly, uh, putting the studio in at risk. And, you know, Microsoft decided to buy Lionhead because here's another thing that people don't realize, they didn't own the Fable franchise at that point. See, Microsoft does have a policy of IP retention. You know, that's, you know, that's why, you know, say Jade Empire went back to BioWare Mass Effect went back to Bioware or much more recently Sunset Overdrive is still owned by Insomniac so you know in order to protect their investment they bought Lionhead and Lionhead has been pretty much the fable factory ever since right and right so I guess uh, I guess we can talk a bit more about fable the lost chapters because this is still the definitive version of the game Mainly because its recent remake, the Fable Anniversary, is a titanic piece of shit.
0: Um, I think you just understated that extremely.
1: (laughs) Possibly, but, you know, don't buy Fable Anniversary, especially for the PC.
0: Yeah, I mean, unless you can get it for a dollar.
1: Well, here's the thing, you know, like, uh, Fable Anniversary, can, you know, it's probably can be summed up very simply. It's a poor port of an Xbox 360 game. Like, if you don't have an Xbox 360 controller, you're pretty much screwed. You know, uh, like like the, uh, like Biscuit has a really good video pointing out the various differences between Fable Anniversary and Fable the Lost Chapters. And you know, Fable the Lost Chapters is very graphically dated, as you'd expect a game from o, 2004, 2005 to be. But it's still it's still perfectly playable on modern uh, PCs. Like yeah, I, I was
0: just playing it yesterday. Yeah,
1: and I played it on my PC some time ago, and it, it ran perfectly. You know, no compatibility errors or anything. You know, and you know you can get Fable the Lost chapters a lot. You know, at, uh, you can get it on Steam right now for ten dollars.
0: Yeah, when I got it, it was during a Steam sale. and I only paid like a buck fifty. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can get the game cheap.
1: Yeah, so there, there, unless graphics matter that much to you, because you know the only that, that really is the only thing Fable Anniversary has going. It does have upgraded graphics, although you know, and I guess mod support. But then again, you know, Fable Fable Lost Chapters probably you know is moddable. Just by virtue of being a PC game.
0: Yeah, I think there's an upres texture pack as well. Yeah. So which means there's no point for.
1: Yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, Fable the Anniversary, uh, Fable the Anniversary is going for I think thirty bucks right now. Yes. So. It's really not worth it. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so moving on to Table 2. AK, uh, this is the. Uh, you know, this one only came out for the Xbox 360. hmm.
0: And hasn't been re released since, which.
1: Yeah. So, uh, who, who here has played Table 2?
0: I've played it. <laughs> it's. Was all right. I mean, again, the the bastard model choice system, yeah. kind of meh.
1: Well, like I said, that seems to be the story for all the
0: fable games.
1: They're all right at best, but yeah. like, you know, the, they're not the you know they're, they're not the standout games Microsoft thinks they Yeah. You know, like, you know, I mean, it was mentioned in the interview, but Fable Two's big uh, hook was
0: the dog. That damn, damn dog.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, you know, a combination of uh, Navi and, oh, God,
0: it's Tricky.
2: <laughs> Putting it
0: lightly. <laughs>
1: uh, it's like, you know, I won't... Now, Fable 2 also brought some other things to the table. Uh, let's see. Uh, it actually had a, a more realistic view of sex than most other, you know, fantasy products.
0: Yeah, because in Lost Chapters, there was a whorehouse. But whenever, you, for the sex thing or whatever, they just black screen and noises.
1: Yeah. And in this one, well, first of all, you can't, you know... It's uh, it's game feature gay marriage and it's really weird because this was a game from oh two thousand seven two thousand eight
0: somewhere in there yeah
1: and um I think that was in Lost Chapter twelve
0: I can't remember um I'm not at that point yet but maybe yeah
1: uh, let me see. You know, and this is something that like I... Things like STDs into account in condoms. Yeah. Yeah. Something I really don't see in uh, RPGs all that often.
0: Well, it's not like really, really something that seems to be brought up that often.
1: Well, it's probably because, you know, it's a work of fiction, and, you know, there is no such thing as bad sex in fiction.
0: Right. Well, it's like, in the STDs sort of really didn't do anything. I mean, there was literally just a counter on your stat screen it said how many stds you got that's it there were no status effects or anything that is an odd level of attention to details have you ever heard peter Molyneux talk yeah like <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, but and the other thing is this is the first fable game to feature multiplayer it's pretty rudimentary actually like you know, you play as a, like a henchman, and you're really kind of an assistant character versus your own hero. That that that's something that was upgraded in like Fable Three, I think.
0: Yeah, Fable Three, you actually could bring your own character. Seeing how last time I played online, there was a dude who was running around naked, just a Santa hat. Of course. No. Yes, because Xbox. What do you expect?
1: The property. Yeah. So, well, let's get to table 3. All right. So, going to going to throw up a big old spoiler warning here because well, there, you know, this game is pretty shit, and in order to talk about why it's so shit, we got to talk about the ending. Or we got to talk about the late
0: game content. Yeah, basically we're spoiling the last third of the game. So everybody who plans on playing the game that's not very good and uh, uh and doesn't want to hear about how it ends is out of the pool or mute it or something. Yeah.
1: Right. you've been duly warned, Eddie Van. You have.
0: Oh, all right. Fable three's ending. I've been waiting for years to rip on this. Okay, for those of you who played it, you go through the plot. You find out that your brother, the evil king. Is a bastard. So you overthrow him. And you figure out why he's a bastard. There's a dark, the quote, dark force is coming to take over Albion. So you get a set of moral choices. The quote, good part will make your citizens happy but most likely lead to their death. The Bad choices will save the townsfolk's will save the country folks' lives, but they'll think you're an asshole. And, and, your, world, and your brother was making those same choices, and he was making the ones that would result in everybody not dying. Right. And instead of, you know, having a functional brain and just doing, making the bad choices temporary until after the evil was fended off, Nope, once you make them, they are permanent and cannot be undone. So, yeah. Either you get the, quote, good ending, which involves, I think, a third of the NPCs in the entire game dying, and a section of Bowerstone being permanently closed off, or everybody hates you. <laughs> Because, you know, dynamic moral choice that totally doesn't make you hate the game. Yeah.
1: Context? What is this thing called context?
0: (laughs) I know. I want to shake Peter Molyneux like a British nanny.
1: Okay, then.
0: (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. The gameplay is fine. The story could use some work, but I like the faster-paced gameplay of the other two that it has over the other two. Because in Fable 1, it's clunky switching between all the various modes of attack. Fable 2, it's a little faster, but the sword is still superior. But Fable 3, you can actually start comboing things. Mm. It makes the combat so much more fluid. But the story... Yeah.
1: And so, well, that's the main three Fable games, but those are not the only Fable games because there have been a number of spin-offs. Let's see, there's Fable 2 hub games, which is, well, basically what, the, what it says on the pin. The hub mini-games from Fable 2 t- uh, released as a standalone title. And, you know, it was a way to earn gold and some weapons,
0: um, Fable two, the pub games was just gold. The, um, the what was the other one? The beat 'em up game. You earned stuff for Fable three. Hero. Uh,
1: That's right. I think that. You know, you're talking about Fable Heroes, and that was yes. Fable the Journey. So, yeah. You know, so a bunch F-
0: of things that were worse than Pokemon Dream Radar is what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, I I guess the next major game in the franchise is Fable the Journey. You can call that major. You
0: You can call that a game.
1: Well, Fable the Journey was yet another uh, fucking experiment for the original that didn't work out too well. Now, I I guess it worked out fine, but I I don't recall a lot of calls for, you know, you know, having a waving simulator uh, grafted on the Fable franchise. Now, yeah. Uh, because of Fable the Journey, I've seen it, you know, it's called an action RPG because it has, level, you know, it has those RPG elements like leveling up and shit like that. But it's an on-rails, I want to I wanna say shooter, but, you know, you, it, it's more about hand gestures than, you know, firing.
0: No, it's an RPG, real projectile game.
1: Yeah, something like that.
2: You know... (laughs) That hit the right spot. I can tell.
1: But, you know, Fable the Journey came out and was well quickly forgotten. There's Fable Heroes, uh, an Xbox Live Arcade game, which uh, seems to be, you know... A all ages dungeon crawler, which, uh, which, according to reviews, wasn't very good. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, basically, Fable's been faffing about for, with uh, spin offs and remakes ever since uh, Peter Molyneux left. Like, Peter Molyneux left Lionhead and left the franchise, oh, after the release of Fable 3. He's.
0: For a good reason. I mean.
1: Well. <laughs> Well, he wanted to do other things, you know. But you know, he wanted to do other horrible, horrible things like curiosity and goddess, goddess, whatever. Uh, but so finally, we'll we'll end this by talking about fable legends. So this one has cause for me uh, for concern because it's a multiplayer centric entry into a historically single player franchise. hmm Yeah. So, you know, it from what has been released so far, it's a five player uh action RPG. You play as four you know, four heroes and one villain. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, and not much to say beyond that it, it doesn't have a release date yet I believe but I wouldn't be surprised if it drops this year alright so final thoughts on the Fable franchise
0: I'm still waiting for Fable the Fable Fable of Fable Fable one is Lost Chapters is good you should go at least give it a look because it's cheap the other two get at your own risk
2: Sounds sounds like the whole franchise drags more ass than a dog trying to clean
0: its anal glands. <laughs> well, I'm the gameplay is fun at least if you if you don't want to get invested in try and get invested in the story they're they're perfectly fine games. But if you're a person who really likes a deep story, no, be you're prepared for a square. really bad attempt at that. Yeah, not not even the kind of game where like they don't try and that's okay too sometimes the kind of game where they're obviously trying and having no success. They're trying yet. too hard.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right then. Yeah. Anyway, so next week, we... Well, let's see. For the topic of discussion, it's looking like we're going to be talking about either speed running or level design. We haven't exactly solidified it yet.
0: You'll find out next week. Or well, possibly we could talk about discussions about speedrunning discussions about uh, level design.
1: That's a that's actually a thing we could talk about. Yeah. As I combine the two, and let's see, next week's guests are going to be Hannah and Joe from Whale Knot Studios. They're another uh, uh, pretty recent indie dev who's you know who's risen in these recent you know, in these modern times, and they're doing kind of old-school RPGs, like isometric, uh, isometric computer RPGs. Uh, let's see. They've uh, they've released the Isle of – I'm so going to mispronounce this – BXNES. I, I don't know how you pronounce that. Vixness?
0: Sure. Yeah.
2: It, it's we'll find hard- out next week.
1: Yeah. And they're currently uh, working on a uh, PC RPG called *Serpent in the Stagland*. All right. So until next week, all I can do uh, until next week, all I can do is wish you good gaming.
2: All right then, and uh, love you guys. But who knows? I may see you never. Bye,
0: Mac. Good luck with your endeavors.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you assholes are going nope. me to be me at the other show, so... <laughs> I know,
1: but I, I would
2: say... an auto-part truck the on viewers. your head. Yeah
1: so, be, yeah, so be sure to tune in uh, for Up
2: Late with Mace. Yeah. Coming up very shortly. We'll be opening the chat room soon. Yeah. All right. Whenever I eat a Big Mac from now on, I'll take my hat off. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't they just continued the Big Mac? No, that was a lie. Ah, oh, Damn. What world would you live in that would discontinue the Big Mac? Because that's not a world I want to fucking live in. Yeah, seriously. Uh, I Last I checked, America was still a uh, oil-fueled, capitalist-driven society. Big Mac. I'm going to hit end now. <laughs> and... <laughs>
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group void. we prohibited by law. See
1: terms and conditions 18 plus.